Good morning, everybody. I, I'm glad that you guys shoveled your way out of your driveways this morning to be here. Um, so uh, if we haven't met, my name's Eric. I'm the campus pastor here. I am so glad that you made it out for week two of our series called Made Good. Um, we're talking about living a life transformed by grace. And um, there's really no better subject matter. Um, like I said, uh, if you're new to Cambridge or whatever, grab me at the end. Fill out your Connect card. Um, we have some back there. I know you didn't get bulletins this morning, but... Um, we like to stay in contact with you, so make sure you do that. Um, I also wanted to invite you, I, I know uh, Christina did a great job just talking about Connection Point. Next week is uh, a really awesome time. So if you're new uh, to what we do here, or even if you've been around for a while, and you just kind of want to check it out, um, we'll have that after the service. Just make sure that we know about uh, that you're coming so we can have lunch provided. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if you just even want to you know, be a freeloader and have a free lunch, you, know, you can totally do that. Um, today we are going to be building on what Pastor Wade talked about last week when he introduced this book, and, and he did a great job. He, he kind of gave us some background history of the culture that they were in and the, the history of the book and who was writing and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I know that you guys felt like if only we could clone Wade, then we could get rid of Eric and just have Wade. I know that's what you were thinking, but um, I hope not. Yeah, I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> no defense or anything. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Greg. Love you, too. Um, so by way of recap, we are walking through this book of Titus, and, and it's just a little guy. It's just a little, little baby book. Just a couple of chapters. Um, and, but Titus packs a punch, right? It's a short book with a really strong message, um, and we're going to see why that is in a moment. Um, it centers around this idea of goodness, right? So you'll see that word come up again and again and again. What is good? How do we do good? What, how do we identify what is good or what isn't good? And so you'll see that again and again through the book. Um, but it's a really, really practical book. It really is. And so I hope that you guys can, can pull something from it. I'm excited to teach through it and as we continue our conversation in uh, chapter 1. This book is actually a personal letter from Paul, right? And uh, at this point he was nearing the end of his ministry Think of like he's, he's kind of coming closer to retirement, right? Which in his case meant a long period of imprisonment and then he got his head chopped off. So not really like shuffleboard and geritol like we think of retirement being. Um, but anyway, uh, Paul is this sort of grizzled old ministry veteran who has been doing it a long time. He's kind of seen everything. And he's writing a letter to this young guy, Titus, who's entering into ministry. He's just getting started, right? And so I want you to kind of see that Paul's trying to create this, um, uh, he's, he's writing to encourage him and to give him good thoughts and wisdom and pointers as he enters into this ministry, to instruct him, and to give him focus as he arrives in the island of Crete and starts ministering to the people there. So that's what the, the, the tone of this letter is a, bit, a little bit like that, right? It's a little bit like, have you ever had like an older mentor or, or like this man in your life, this old guy in your life who, who he, he just seems to have seen everything. And he's kind of in that I don't really give a crap about anything phase of life. You know, I'm not really here to sugarcoat things and I'm not going to make it easy. I'm just going to tell you what it is. And he tells it like it is. He's not mean or nasty or anything like that. He's, he's almost endearing in that, you know. You guys have people like that in your life? Um, they always seem to have like really rough hands, like gorilla hands. I don't know why that is, but these kind of guys. There's just a depth of wisdom and life that you get uh, after, after living this, this sort of way for so long. 
Uh, so I want you to hear Paul's words in that sort of space, right? This sort of older mentor talking shop and sort of giving pointers to this young kid who's, uh, who's, who's coming up, right? Today we're going to pick up where Pastor Wade left off, so if you want to open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 10, through, and we'll be in 10 to 16 today. Um, and before we do that, let's just go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you, that you love us. Lord, that you are our king. I love that song and uh, the fact that we get to uh, worship and sing praise to you and to live a life knowing that you're in control and that whatever comes our way, whatever hardships we face, we know that you're the king on the throne, that you are the only king forever. And uh, I just uh, want to worship you this morning. I pray that you would use your word to speak to us. I pray that you would use my voice um, and, and silence anything that's of my own opinion, but only what you would want to teach would come through. So uh, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's jump in. I'm just going to start reading. Starting in verse 10, chapter 1. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk. Any amens? No? Okay. <laughs> there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said, about this, has said this about them. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly uh, uh, to make them strong in the faith, and they must stop listening to these old Jewish myths and commanding people who have uh, and command these people who have turned away from the, the truth. Everything is pure to those who have hearts that are pure. Nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, because their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Such people claim to know God, but they deny Him by the way that they live. They are detestable, disobedient, and worthless for anything good. So, not great. Here, here's a, a quick side tangent, okay? This is hopefully not going to be too offensive to you this morning. But what is the deal with circumcision, okay? Right? I, I know this is a little awkward, but the Bible talks about it a lot, Right? The Bible talks about it a lot, and I just figured that now is as good a time as any to, to sort of nip this in the bud. <laughs> you guys are terrible. You guys need to cut that out. Seriously, stop that. Um, so, so here's the long and short of it. Oh, I'm, that's, that's awful. I, I can't stop this. Okay. Uh, what is the deal with circumcision? All right. Enough jokes. If you don't know or, or, or haven't heard about this or whatever, um, don't ask your grandma. Okay? That's what I did when I was about nine years old in the pew at church, uh, to which my grandmother proceeded to explain it to me in great detail. A horrifying, horrifying detail. Um, circumcision is this thing, okay? So quick, quick history. Circumcision has been around for a really long time. God uh, told Abraham to do it and his family uh, forever to do it, right? And so um, it's, it, it was a, a mark that God uh, sort of used to show who were his people, Okay, so that's kind of what you should, you should think of it as kind of like an identifier. Like no one would do that on their own, right? You know what I mean? And so, so God told them to do that so that they would sort of be the only ones, the unique ones, and, and that it would continue on in that reason, or for that reason. 
Um, this, this practice continued and is well documented throughout the Old Testament. You see it come up again and again. Um, it was just part of their life. Um, and it's still practiced by the tribe and, and many other people, right? So um, in the early church, though, this became a, a big, big issue, right? And here's why. So there were, there were, at first, Christians were just Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the, the Messiah. That was it. They were all Jewish people. But, but then as, as the Gentiles started to come, the, the uncircumcised Gentiles started to, to come to the church meetings and, and to be a part of the network and to be grafted into the family and all this stuff. There was this kind of thing that happened, right? When, when two people who, who come from different backgrounds or different places or whatever, they come together, there's sometimes friction, right? And so that's what, what's happened. And, and it didn't sit well with some of the Jewish people. And so circumcision became essentially this racism proxy war that was fought. You're not one of us, therefore you're not welcome, kind of thing. And so when we see it come up in the New Testament, that's kind of how we have to think, right? Is that this was a way that people used to manipulate, uh, this is something that people used to manipulate a situation to their own advantage. Uh, Paul talks about this a lot in his uh, ministry. He was kind of a, a um, that was kind of his hot button issue. Uh, in the early church, um, he wrote the book of Galatians to basically present and defend his arguments around this and why that wasn't right. He eventually, at one point, rebukes Peter for, for participating in this, basically not dealing with, with Gentile believers. And, and P- Peter was, you know, struggling with that, right? And so he rebukes Peter, which is pretty cool. Um, but Galatians is just an amazing book, and, and if you have the time, you should read it. Uh, but circumcision was this big argument, and it, and it split churches, and it hurt families, and we see here Paul talking about that again. It was a huge hindrance in the early church. And that while it seems really weird to us, like the, 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 you know, the situation seems very strange to us um, here and now, we have to understand that these are all symptoms of a much deeper issues, and the symptom of the issue might change, but the problem is still here right? The problem is still here. We, we often think of this us and them thing, and we pick certain things um, to use to our advantage. Or like this, this is the reason why we all are, are together. We're identifying ourselves by this thing. And it might not be circumcision, but it's probably something else. Uh, so I want that to be in the back of our minds uh, this morning as we're kind of seeing this. Okay, um, this morning we're really going to frame most of our conversation around the observations that we can make in this passage about two huge things. The first one is religion, and the other one is culture. So we're going to be talking about sort of Paul's observation as he's looking at Crete and this new ministry. What does the role of religion play and culture play in this space, right? Um, this is a remarkable passage. It touches on, on these two somewhat dissimilar things, um, and Paul links them together and sort of brings them to the forefront of Titus's attention. And we're going to see why he does that in a minute. Religion and culture are the biggest minefields that the church has to navigate. As the people of God, we, we sometimes just do and we don't consider. And religion and culture are kind of the things that drive this the most. The, the steady ebb and flow, and sometimes you don't even see that it's happening Um, And we have to navigate these things. If we don't consider these influences and respond with intention and focus, they will steer everything, right? 
they'll still hear everything. So we have to, we have to wa- watch that. We do this all the time, you know. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that some churches place uh, religion firmly in the driver's seat. You know, <laughs> it's just like religion, you know, and it's all the way. Uh, and we'll talk about that, what that means. Um, there, you know, a lot of times there's robes and cathedrals or traditions or rules that just don't seem to make sense. There's stuff going on that's just bizarre, you know. Um, you know, we don't ask really that many questions. Religion is driving the vehicle and the attitude is get on board or get off, right? Just get out. We don't, we don't want you here if you're not going to do our thing, right? Every church, every denomination, every network, whatever, we all have these, uh, this propensity to lean into religion. It looks different in different places and different times and different things, but it's always the same. Um, similarly, you can, you can almost like, te- like, you have this inherent sense of churches too that, that put culture in the driver's seat, right? That it's going to reflect pop culture, pop thinking, pop opinion, pop music, you know, whatever is going on in the world, it's just like a carbon copy and, you know, we throw Jesus in the mix. And not all of that's bad, right? But if there's no discernible difference between the church and the world, then, I don't, you know, it, it creates some difficulty. And we just have to be wise in how we discern what that looks like, right? Paul gives us um, these amazing statements. And as we pull them apart, we'll see that Paul is just sort of sharing the wisdom of his experience. He's just sort of like highlighting a few things, saying, watch out for this because it'll, it'll bite you. Right? All right, I'm really, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So religion, let's deal with religion first. Um, and, and first, let's just go ahead and define it. So Webster's Dictionary, I thought, was a pretty good definition. Um, religion defined as just the service and worship of God or the supernatural um, and its commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. Right? And here's the thing. Uh, so as we use that as our, our working definition, here's the thing. Um, religion and culture are, kind of exist on this spectrum, right? When we say religion to someone, it can mean a lot of different things, right? Well, like, what are the things, some things that you guys, it's all pretty much family, so. What are some things that you guys think of when, when we say religion? Pharisees, okay, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's from the New Testament, these kind of Jewish leaders, right? What else? Cool costumes? I know, the Pope gets really cool costumes, man. That, like, hat that's like, I want one of those. Uh, yeah, what else? Oppression? Yeah, right? Yeah, it, it takes a lot of different things. Any, any other ones? Structured faith. Yeah. Sacraments. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we think of when we think of religion. Maybe you think of a building, you know. Um, I used to go to this really, really humongous church, you know, and religion was kind of, uh, it wasn't like a stained glass cathedral, it was like a modern building, but, you know, everybody was like watching out for the floor, and you had to do certain things, and fill out papers, it felt like a religion in and of itself, anyway, um, so yeah, religion, it's kind of exists on the spectrum, we always think about different things, religion isn't all bad, you know, Greg's, even Greg's uh, response of structured faith, it's like, well, that's kind of a good thing, right? It is. Like, we, we, we know when to show up on, on Sunday mornings, right? We, we know what we're going to do. We know that to, to, so there's things that are good about that. And we think about religion, it's not all inherently bad. 
maybe you're from a high church tradition where there were, you know, the cathedrals and that sort of thing. There was a lot of religious structure that was very kind of in your face, you know. And, and that stuff's not necessarily bad. Cathedrals aren't bad. The funny hats aren't bad. All that stuff's not necessarily bad. It's when we, uh, or maybe you're from a, like a Protestant, we, ha- we do the same thing, right? The p- church pew, anybody grew up in a, like a church pews and there was like the big war about, you know, ter- chairs and pews, you know, and we have our own things. Like every, yeah, okay. So everybody sort of has their own version of this, right? Maybe it looks like legalism. You know, growing up, we have these rules about the rules, and the rules make sense, and you can't do this, and boycott Disney, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of that's just religion, right? Um, <laughs> my favorite uh, saying was like, uh, we don't smoke or chew or date the girls that do, you know? Is that not a Canada thing? Not a lot of young ladies with a big chaw in their mouth? Anyway. Religion takes many forms, um, and uh, outside of Christendom too, right? You know, there's other religions that have lots of structure or different structure or similar structure. Um, Religion is present in every culture, no matter where you go. Human beings were wired for religion. It's just true. No matter where you go, no matter what culture, no matter what time and, and place in history, human beings are always bringing structure to what they believe. They just are. And there's a lot of criticism about religion today, too, right? There was this uh, uh, guy, I don't even know what he is. He's an author, I guess. And he wrote, like, a poem. And it was like, why religion is bad or something. I don't remember exactly what it is. Um, but we point at religion and we call it bad a lot. Even in the church, outside the church, in government, all that stuff. We call religion, uh, we point to religion as being the culprit for many harmful things. You know, the crusades and you know, uh, 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 xenophobia and homophobia, arachnophobia, I'm sure, is probably the, the church's fault, religion's fault, right? All of these things are, are, they point to religion and sort of say religion is the, the problem. In fact, if you go on the street, you can interview people and they'll say, I have a problem with organized religion. That's kind of the thing that everybody says, right? But it's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily bad. Um, reli- religion just refers to the worship and practice of our faith. And so um, we, we can't just call something bad that isn't, is what I'm trying to say. Don't demonize a word uh, just because we don't want to be thorough in the way that we explain it. It's about our motivations, right? So here's the thing. In order for God to make this good, in order for God to make religion good, we're talking about being transformed by grace. In order for God to make it good, religion needs to come from a relationship, right? It needs to be attached to something that actually means more than the structure, right? If it's only the structure we have a relationship with, that's a problem, right? Okay, so here's how we see um, Paul navigate this stuff. So he calls out uh, the circumcision for salvation right here in verse 10, right? He says, um, those who insist on circumcision for salvation, he's identifying this religious practice and sort of saying, the people who are pushing this agenda as requirement, right? Paul is specific. Paul is specific about what he's talking about. So when we're dealing with religion, we need to know that he's, Paul is being very specific in his criticism of it. He's specific in what he's speaking against. He's not saying people who are circumcised or participate in this practice, they're not idiots, right? It, you know, if you, if you grew up doing this or you grew up doing that, like it doesn't make you wrong. It just means that we need to 
figure out where it lands in the priority list. Paul's not walking around making generalizations about, you know, people just off the cuff. He's being very specific. He's calling out those who insist on making religion, this practice, a primary issue. Right? Paul shows us that the harm it's causing, it's, he says it's turning whole families away from the truth. It's, it's causing a problem here. And there are dangers that, that you might need not be thinking about, Titus. And he's bringing this up. You, you might not know how this plays out, but trust me, I've done this again and again and again. I know how this goes. So be careful with these people. Paul's being very, very specific. Sometimes in, in here's the, the counterbalance to that, though. Sometimes in our pursuit of doing the right thing, we'll blow up the wrong thing. Right? Don't make the practice of the religious thing the problem. Don't make circumcision the problem. Don't make wearing a funny hat the problem. Make the motivation behind it. You got to identify what that motivation is, the reason why we do it, how it plays out in our world, right? We'll, we'll talk about that stuff in, the, in a second. But sometimes in our pursuit to do the right thing, we'll blow up the wrong thing. And he's, he's sort of cautioning Titus here by saying, you need to be specific. Be specific. We have to use discernment. Religion isn't bad. It's not good. It's neutral. We attach our motives, the results, how we wait with scripture, all that kind of stuff to it. Um, and so it gets really complicated, right? So what I would urge you guys, as we think about religion, as we talk about religion, don't just point at religion and say, bad, right? Do the work and make sure that you know what you're talking about. Okay, so here, when, we, when we're presented, I'll give you some practical things, I think, I hope. Maybe they're dumb, I don't know. But uh, here are some reactions that we can have, our response to religion. Here's the first thing. Uh, some things we can receive. There's some structure and, and pieces of your faith, the, the, the action of your faith, that's just good. And, and we all do it, right? Some things are, are uh, about religion we can just receive. Prayer, for instance, is a an important part of worship and faith. We should just embrace prayer, right? And, and here's the, the, yeah, so we should just receive that, right? Singing in some sort of fashion, right? Receive that. Our devotion to scripture, things like that. What we do with our faith, serving the poor, right? Helping the widows, sh sharing Jesus with other people. All that stuff are pieces of our religion that we can receive, right? We need to consider uh, what those things are, why we, sh why we do them, the purpose behind it, and, and, uh, and think through that, right? We might even see that we're missing part of our religion that's helpful. There might be pieces of this that we're just not doing, even though we probably should. Uh, kind of like at some point along the way, we threw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, so here's uh, an example. Uh, Renewed Church, Renewed Cambridge, here we are. Good morning. Um, like our singing time, we could, we could probably receive a, a, uh, a higher um, level of commitment during worship, you know. Go ahead and lift your hands, it's okay. The Bible talks a lot about posture in worship. In fact, that's one of the primary things that the Bible talks about when worship is our posture before God. Physically, how we're, are we 
on our knees or, you know, a lot of times like those guys would lay face down on their face, you know. That'd be pretty cool, I guess, if we just had Jesus. No, maybe not. But there's things about that that we could receive. And let's think through that as we approach our practice of worship. Let's always be open to having uh, something new or, or, or pressing into something that maybe feels, makes us feel uncomfortable, you know. That comedian, he always talks about the different ways that we lift our hands, like the carry of the TV and the whatever. You know, okay. okay. So there's some things about our religion that we can uh, receive. Um, the second one here is some things about religion we should, we should reject. We should just reject it. Um, it it ser- serves no purpose or, or it's, it's harmful. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that uh, you might want to reject some aspect of religion. So, so here what we're seeing is that Paul is uh, showing that the insistence on something in light of salvation, is that's a bad piece of religion. That's a bad part. Don't add more to you coming to Jesus. So many times in the church we, we put speed bumps between people and, and their relationship with God. When we should be like waxing, the, doing the curling thing. I don't know how, I don't know. Yeah, sweeping. Is that what it's called? That's what it looks like, so that makes sense. Um, some things need to be rejected. Here's, a couple, here's how you know that you should reject something. When the purpose behind the religious activity, the purpose behind the religious activity is either unknown, ambiguous, or immoral. Reject it. Right? If you don't know why you're doing it, it's probably not worth you doing. You know? Stand up, sit down, take these things, right? You know, why do we do the uh, bread and cup? Like, if you don't understand what you're doing, don't do it. Don't do it. Ask someone, consider it, see if that's something that you're ready to receive, and then participate, right? Um, When the purpose is unknown, when the purpose is ambiguous, we're, we're really not sure. These people do it for this reason. These people do it for that reason. Nobody really knows, and uh, so, you know, it's kind of the same idea. If there's a lot of gray area around why we wear funny hats, don't wear funny hats, right? Um, here's the other one is, is if it's immoral, right, which is kind of the obvious one. Uh, the Pharisees are really, really good at this one, okay? Sorry to call them out, but um, they would force people to, to, like, when they would come to the temple, they'd force you to exchange your money. You couldn't use your tunies. You needed temple tunies, right? So you'd, ex- you'd give them all your tunies, and they would give you coins back. But they would make an exchange rate, right, every time you go to Buffalo or whatever. Uh, same thing, you know. And they'd charge you, they'd upcharge you on both ends. So you'd get less money in the beginning and even less money at the end. So they would do these kinds of things. That stuff's immoral. That's called greed, <laughs> right? And, and, and that needs to be rejected, right? Um, religion is often used for things like greed, to manipulate people, to maintain power, to elevate status, all this kind of stuff. And, and we need to reject, we need to be very, very careful about what we're willing to receive, and we need to be very intentional about what we should reject. Um, here, here's a more subtle one, okay, traditions. So luckily, we're just a little baby church, and so we don't have that many established traditions. We've hardly done anything twice, right? So, uh, <laughs> So it's, it's kind of easy for us. But traditions can be this thing that sort of sneaks up on you. You know, I went to a church where we used to do vacation Bible school every summer. And vacation Bible school was great. Actually, Austin and I, there's a picture of us. We were in the same VBS class when we were little kids. And my mom was the teacher. 
Yeah, there's a picture of it somewhere. That's pretty cute. I probably annoyed her and pulled her hair and all that stuff. I don't know. But um, yeah, we were in VBS, and, and, and over the years, it's like it's, it's sort of like we just kept doing it, and we realized that like it wasn't really valuable in any way. We just did it because we've always done it, right? It was our tradition. It's not really a, a good reason. Um, if tradition is the only reason why we participate in a re- religious practice, you should probably hit the reject button. If just because we always did it is the reason why, get it out. Like we did party in the park every summer. We've always done party in the park, right? Since, since we've been here in Cambridge, we've always done party in the park. And uh, if that's the reason that we're doing it, that's a really bad reason. And, and here's the thing is that as soon as you push against, we can say that we're into that idea until someone tells us the thing that we love needs to go, right? We all nod our heads, you know, oh, yeah, get rid of those you know, party in the park. Nobody likes that, right? But then as soon as it's like, well, let's get rid of the band. But that's our tradition, you know. So we got to be careful, right? Can be, can be scary. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, here's one. Uh, we've done our couples retreat at Niagara Falls every year for a long time. And now it's in Stratford. So don't get your panties in a wad, you know. It's, it's ready to go. Anyway, okay. So before we rele- receive some parts of religion, some things we should reject. And here's the third one. Okay, so Paul shows us that some things we need to reprimand. Okay, some religious practices need to be reprimanded. If you, uh, uh, here in Titus 1, we see Paul telling Titus, hey, go and tell these people, stop it. Reprimand them for what they're doing. And it says there, because, uh, um, here, where is it? Uh, they must be silenced because they're turning whole families. Um, verse five, uh, shoot, where is it? 13, there it is. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. To make them strong in the faith. Some people, if you stick around church long enough, you'll see religion sort of creep up organically. Or somebody comes from another tra- tradition or church and they're like, what if we did this? And and we can get really attached to certain ideas. And, and s- some of it's totally unintentional. Right? We're not r- horrible people because we do this. We're just people because we do it. that's why we do it. Right? And so we need to reprimand when it comes up because it's a strengthening of our faith. So if there's things in, in my life that you see and you say, hey, Eric, you need to, you need to watch that tradition that's creeped. Like you're really fighting for this thing. And it's probably not for the right reason. And I need to be like, oh, yeah, maybe it is. That's, that's a good thing for me. It'll strengthen my faith. The problem with this one, though, is it's really, really tough to do. Our culture is not a very confrontational culture, right? Unless we're on the Internet. And then we're very controversial or, or confronting. Um, this is a tough one. So, so um, Paul shows us that the hope in all of this is that it would strengthen the person. Right, that it would strengthen the person. Um, it's worth it. So if we're willing to do the hard thing, the unpopular thing, and risk this, our church will be healthier, our people will be healthier, our religion will be healthier. Right? The practices. Okay, as we learn to discern these things and run them through the filter, uh, here's what we'll notice is that this stuff gets complicated. As we learn to reject and receive and, and reprimand certain things, it can get very complicated. Right? The function of religion isn't static. 
There's always new things. There's always new traditions or, or, or you know, a different take on it or new people involved. And, and so we always need to be o- aware of this stuff. And as time comes, as time goes, there will, there's always going to be something like circumcision for us, right? You know, there's going to be our version of that forever. Um, Paul gives us some thoughts on religion. Um, he also addresses this idea. Here's our second thing of culture. So we've, we've talked a little bit about religion. Let's talk about culture. Like it or not, culture outside the church has a profound effect on the culture inside the church. Right? It just does. We can't help it. Notice how, how Paul addresses culture when he's, when he's talking to Titus here. Um, Pastor Paul is telling his student, this emerging leader, hey, be aware of this. You know, these, these, the Cretans are like this. Their own poet, their own prophet says this about them. Cretans are like this. This is their culture, right? You're going to be heading into this, Titus. Don't discount the effect that this is going to have on your ministry. It's going to elevating culture. Crete is different than the town you grew up in, Titus. It's different, and you need to be aware of that moving in, right? Here's the thing. Paul not only uh, brings it up to Titus and, and brings it to his attention, but if you saw, he actually demonstrates his own knowledge of culture. By using that, that Cretan prophet or that saying, he's showing Titus, hey, I have studied this. I know, I, I'm aware, I'm part of the conversation, right? I follow this Cretan influencer on Instagram. And so I kind of know where they're coming from, right? I sort of know where they're coming from. And he refers to it, and he shows that he, he's, he's um, demonstrating that he's not only aware of the culture, but that he's examined and, and kind of determined what, what should happen, right? Uh, and I think that's a really wise thing for, for, for him to, to respect and, and see the ability for the culture to influence the church is really, really wise. And that shouldn't be discounted. Um, culture is huge. I'd say this for us, like, so cultural influences for us uh, are more impactful, I think, than religious ones in a lot of ways, right? Um, culture is something that we're absolutely saturated with, and it's, it's complex. Like religion, it's not good or bad, it just is, and it's what we do with it that matters, right? And so as we think about culture and the good, the bad, the neutral, um, we, we need to examine these things in a similar way. Unlike religion, though, Culture is extremely difficult to get away from. It's extremely difficult for us to identify our own culture. And one of the reasons is, is because we're swimming in it. We're always in it, right? We are always in it. Here, here's, here's the thing. As, as Christians, our task is, or as leaders um, even, to under, is to understand this beast. Cultural, or culture is something that it, we're absolutely saturated with. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's something that we grew up with. It's ingrained in us. Um, and it's difficult, because of that, it's difficult to observe culture objectively. We just don't see it all the time. Because we're so used to it. Right? It's very difficult to observe a, a culture objectively. Um, we're swimming in this same cultural ocean. And as time goes on, Objectivity in culture becomes harder and harder to pin down. And I think that there's some interesting reasons for that, right? 
People around the world right now are watching Friends reruns, you know? Like, they know Joey Tribbiani. Like, that's weird, right, As for humanity. You know, we, we watch Japanese anime and, and eat Indian food, right? It, w- this, the, the cultural ocean is way deeper and way stronger than it used to be. And it's very similar. You can go other places in the world and you, you kind of feel still familiar. These cultural influences, like you eat sushi because the cultural ocean grew so big that Japan is now in every major, well, every, every city in the world, right? And amen for sushi being everywhere, by the way. We are very happy about that, right? It's just everywhere. People around the world are doing this stuff. We're, we're listening to the same music. We're eating the same food. We're digesting the same media. It's just kind of the same. And because of that, it's intensifying how much influence this culture has on our world and on, our, our, uh, on individuals, right? The other thing is culture in 2020 is rapidly dynamic. We're constantly discovering new technologies, new forms of media. There's something, new app, and there's new... There's new music, and there's, there's always something new that kind of gets thrown into the mix. And it's, some of it's good. So, like I said, it's, it's inherently neutral in most senses, right? Um, but it all is pulling us like the tide in a specific direction. So here's some practical things like we did with religion. Here's a, a few things that we can do, do with culture that help us sort of make these decisions about how, uh, how the church and how Christians should approach uh, culture and be aware of it. So, so check this one out. So the first one is like, 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 I don't know. A lot of our culture isn't bad at all. There's things that we can like about it. Things that we can love about it, you know. Like music, we get to like that. The form is fine. Food, drink, entertainment, fashion, technology, all of these things, we, we get to like and appreciate them for what they are, you know. Watch your Netflix, you know, do your thing, right? It's, it, 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 we can like that stuff, right? We can appreciate it as a gift of God. You, now, you don't want to be the guy who's like 45 and living in his mom's basement and watching Japanese anime all day, right? You don't want to be that guy, necess- you know, but there's things about it that we can like, right? There's things about culture, though, that we, can, we should actually leave behind, right? There's things about culture that we should leave behind. Some pieces of our culture... Uh, we need to just do away with. Um, I love Amish people, okay? Here's what's interesting about Amish people is when something happens, we, we sort of think of these them as these like Luddite sort of sectarian crazy people. But what happens is, is that if a technology comes across, they stop, they wait, they consider what it is, how it would affect them and their community, they come together and they make a decision on it. So here's, here's a good example is uh, like propane gas. If you, Amish people use propane gas. That's a technology that they use because they felt like it wouldn't interfere with their world as, as much as, say, electricity would. And it seems like they're kind of right, right? Um, here's another one too. They were having all these back problems. They made their own shoes and it was like wood and I don't know, leather and I don't know how long they did it like that, but they would make their own shoes and they had these very sort of traditional shoes. And then, you know, Nike comes out with these sneakers and all this stuff and, and they sort of are like, well, we have back problems. We can buy sneakers. 
and it seems like a win for everybody. It's not going to have too great a, so you'll, you'll see them like walking around with perfectly modern footwear because the, the benefits outweigh the risks to their culture. And so they're really good at actually like, and maybe they're not going to make all the same decisions that you would, uh, but the, the wisdom is observing these things and not just accepting everything like a wide open door, right? We take in technology and media and forms and fun, all this stuff, we just sort of like let it all in. And then later we're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't, you know, binge watch Netflix 80 hours a week, right? We just need to be conscious of that. Some things aren't worth it. Some things aren't worth it, you know? If we can be a little honest about the, the shows that we choose to watch, maybe that's what it is. We just need to be aware of that. Some things need to be left behind. Okay, so we can like some things. We should leave behind some things. Here's the last one. We can leverage pieces of our culture. What can we leverage about this, right? Paul is the master at this. Several times in the New Testament, he uses poets or, or religious structure or parts of the culture, and he, he sort of twists them just a little bit and uses them to his advantage for the gospel and, and for the kingdom. So he starts talking about the Cretans. Like he uses a, a Cretan poet, which means that he reads that sort of stuff. And he sees it and he identifies it and he leverages it for the, the good of the kingdom. It means that we should be involved to a certain degree in what is happening in the world around us. I don't think we can be totally sectarian and like reject everything inherently and then kind of make our own Christian subculture, which a lot of people do, right? We need to kind of battle. What, what should we actually leverage? What authors are people reading that we could sort of say, yeah, but what, what about this? And be intelligently involved in the conversation because we know what's going on, right? He displays that he knows this stuff. Our culture is cr cranking out these innovative ideas and approaches and philosophies and technologies. Our culture is very into that sort of thing. New is very, very awesome to us. So what can we leverage? What can we point to and say, yeah, I mean, God is, God is actually like this. Like the, the, this movie really portrayed uh, a feeling of, you know, how Jesus loved the church. Or, you know what I mean? Like, maybe we can leverage that stuff like that. You know? Uh, in, the, in, the, in history, we did this, like, airplanes. We were like, what if we used airplanes to, like, fly people who knew Jesus to people who don't know Jesus and tell them all about Jesus, right? Those are good things that we can leverage. You know, I, I could get really into Dungeons and Dragons and have this, like, mega nerd friend group that they don't know Jesus, but I can hang. Austin's going, No. No, I'm not going to play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not going to tell her I'm going to play Dungeons and Dragons. No, so uh, we can do these things. We can use something that our culture likes to bring people around in relationship, and we can leverage that for the gospel of the kingdom, right? We can do that. Um, the idea behind our theme for this year was build more fires, right? Build more fires. And, and we, that's kind of what it's about is how could we leverage the things that happen in our world around us to, to, the, to the good of the gospel? Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about. So as, as we kind of wrap up, here, here I just wanted to, to bring a few things up. When we're thinking about religion and culture, we need to listen to Jesus. Because Jesus was an amazing teacher, and he said, really the way to tell 
is by what fruit comes out of it. Right? That parable. Thistles don't come from fruit trees. Fruit comes from fruit trees. If you have thistles, you're probably handling a weed. Right? That's the point. And so as we think of religion, what fruit is coming out of that? Is it leading people towards Jesus? Or is it creating a system that keeps people away from Jesus? Because that happens all the time. All the time. In our culture, is the fruit of that cultural experience or expression or whatever, is that fruitful for us as human beings? Or is it thistles? Jesus taught us to do that, right? We'll know that stuff by its fruit. Um, I was going to read uh, James chapter 1. I, I don't think I am. I, I, I just want us to close with, as the band comes up, I just want us to close by asking a few questions. Okay? A few questions that I hope we can just consider and sort of really be mindful of because I think that so often we, we hear something like this, like we need to observe our, Christian, or our religion or our culture and stuff like that, and, and we like the idea of it, but we don't go through the process of actually considering it, right? So here's a couple questions to consider this morning. What, practice, what practices of your faith have you been resistant to when you should just be receiving it? What things in, in life, in what things in our, our world, like, are part of our religious faith that we just don't have time for? You know? There's a lot of things that we're just too busy to be involved in. You know, is it groups, right? Is it groups? Is it reading the Bible? Is it prayer? Is it serving? Is it giving? You know? Is it talking to your pastor, giving your pastor sort of a, a, a an a, uh, a foothold in your heart, in your decision making, you know, just bringing uh, me or, or our other leaders, Greg, into decisions that you're making, you know. Here's the second one. How have we allowed our culture uh, to take the driver's seat in our life? How have we allowed our culture to take the driver's seat? Are we just kind of one of these people that just allows everything in? Consider that. Our need for technology, our need for media, our need uh, to, to, to sort of feel in control or like we, we don't have any uh, pain or suffering or anxiety. There's, there's cultural implications of these things that we need to consider. Are we being self-centered? Are we being too comfortable? Have we decided to call what sin good because our culture does, right? Those kinds of things are things to consider. And here's the third one, and I know this doesn't feel connected, but it definitely, definitely is. Here's the third question is, who are you going to talk about Jesus to this week? And the reason that this is connected is because really the only fruit that we're here to, to grow is that. The mission of God is the, the primary thing for the people of God. Make disciples. And so as we're thinking about fruit, as we're thinking about religion, as we're thinking about culture, if, if it's not turning into conversations about Jesus, there's probably things that we need to reject. Let's pray.